Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. I had eyes on you in this video that I watched on her website where you were loading her chair into the vehicle. And the look on your face was so like this take charge woman. And I immediately was like, she's been doing this Perry's whole life. And I actually held space for you today. Oh, just for a moment, just woman to woman. You know, I know I'm not a mom. I mean, that was not my journey in this lifetime and that's okay. But I watched you today and I thought, I thought so many things. But one was, you know, the way you have obviously advocated for her and how obviously she's an extension of you and you do share her and how together you guys are, are sharing her message and her journey. And I wondered if you felt that same exposure and vulnerability that I feel, which is this purpose driven, like animal inside mm-hmm. of me every day to not just to advocate for Josh, but to advocate for Josh's message and other dogs like Josh, because I need to believe that there is more out there, more compassion, that there's change, that there's more inclusion, that humanity is, is capable of understanding and connecting and sharing in that, you know, although disabilities are beautiful and I do have disability pride existing in the world and up against the narrative that goes with it sometimes is very isolating. And so I know you guys can relate to that. And so one of the things I feel so emotional about when I share is sharing the challenges, but then the beauty behind them. And I think I make myself vulnerable because I, I just, I have to, it's almost my way of, for lack of a better term, grieving the challenges and grieving the fear of what's, what could happen and what's to come is I just share it from a place of wanting humanity to give back. I, I guess that's how I, you know, that's how I deal with all the complex emotions about it. Because when Josh entered my life, I mean, I don't want to say I was a lesser version of myself, but I was a more self-centered version of myself, you know? And, um, that's when we did everything for us. Everything was about us. (laughs) Nothing is about you right now. Vacations, weekends, everything. So we did whatever we wanted. wanted. You know, like I, I was just uh, having a a tearful tantrum before, like right before I logged on, because I'm like, you know, it's 4 PM. I've been up since 6 AM. I'm just now brushing my teeth and climbing out of pajamas. I've done not one thing for myself today. She sounds so much like me. It's almost resentment towards myself that there, there is no greater joy than that self-sacrifice. But, you know, there's also, 
you get pissed off. Yeah. I mean, it's like joy and anger and right. frustration and all these things. And I guess the only thing I can do to make peace with all that is inside me is to just share it and hope that people take what they want and leave the rest. You know, right. you also have to remember every day is a new day. You wake yeah. up whatever time it's going to be, whether it's going to be five in the morning, like I do to feed, you know, my dog and then try to maybe go to sleep for 10 minutes and then get up or, you know, it's, it's every day is a new day. And every night I go to sleep knowing I screwed up something. Before we had, before we got biting, when we just had Josh, we got into such a routine yeah. to where it was, it didn't feel like Josh was anyone. Because really, Josh, Josh is easy. so easy. People, we say it, people don't believe it. Josh is probably the easiest dog we have. He's so Well, simple. he's easy to us, but he'd probably be Correct. a handful but, for someone else. But, but we brought I, in Bitey. Bitey changed the game. He has been worked since day one. And he's over a year, and we've had him for 10 months, 8 months. He's like having a 9-month-old he baby. He is. I mean, he goes outside you know. in his chair probably 12, 12 times, times a day, day to go potty. On top to... of swimming. So like Josh doesn't need a lot from us either. He's very sedentary. He, and he and he can sell soup. Ford on the other hand cannot. So Constant. when he came in, we should bring him up here I so think he that, can I think that is really So he can flirt with Perry. Ford taught <laughs> us show us his toes. He's gonna oh, show you his toe. He's, he's, right he's here in his filthy chair. right now. I mean, I was like, I, you know, another thing I was supposed to do before this podcast was brush his hair. It didn't happen. You know what's really interesting about Ford is so he and Josh represent like this full spectrum of his disability. You know, when we talk about the spectrum, right? Um, I, I would say most notably when I'm speaking about Josh and Bitey, I'll compare it to sort of the autism spectrum or like the spectrum that exists for individuals that have CP, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I try to describe it as like, you know, Josh is such, he's actually considered quite moderate in terms of neurological impact um, and symptoms, mm. but He's so easy. He still has independent mobility. I kind of guide him and help him or whatever. But Ford really represents this completely opposite end of the spectrum. You know, if, if we were talking about kind of the autism spectrum, you know, Ford would sort of be the nonverbal, um, you know, that, you know, maybe um, is not going to typical classrooms and, and having typical interactions. Um, and so one thing is that's really taught me I mean, it's like a whole other level, not just of being the caregiver, but of advocacy. And I think when I got Ford last year, this whole thing turned more from, if I'm being totally honest, right? Here I am stepping <laughs> out of line from sort of like when I first started down this road, it was more like an idealistic pop bubblegum thing. Like, yeah, you know, and it was, to be honest, it was probably, you know, greased up with my own ableism at the time that I was too ignorant to see. But it was more like this perfectionistic ideal, let's spread compassion and inclusion and do all these things. But what the hell does that really mean? When Ford came into our lives, you know, we really were... He was a tough case. He, he was, was tough. Challenging. But the... But, but overcoming that and seeing where like Josh can still kind of exist in the world, like a typical, like a neurotypical dog with some assistance. 
but Ford, we have to do everything. I mean, them. Ford needs all the things. I mean, mm-hmm. we're thinking of like, we've just, we're starting to patent like a swimming device. Right. Like, I'm actually starting to see like, he, there are not things that exist in the world. Like we actually need for Ford, like the wheelchair company that makes most pet wheelchairs. There's just so, so many things out there and veterinary medicine is so behind the times, but it really opened my eyes up to like what true inclusion means and like barriers to access and accessibility. And, and of course, again, I'm always looking at it from a canine point of view, but because I'm so deeply committed to what that feels like to me, I can't help but see the human, the, you know, the human disabilities community completely different. And then that's where, that's where things really change. And that's where I really confronted my own privilege. And I was like, Oh my God, like I, you know, I, I need to do more. I need to be louder. Our conversations need to get more uncomfortable. Stop calling them differently abled and, and specially abled and all these things. Like let's start getting comfortable with the word disability. That's her stepping out of the line big time. Big time. She's you know? challenging people. Just put them on the spot. Well, here's the thing though. Usually you know, I think that voices for disability pride come from individuals who have a disability. I am a handler. I am a very physically privileged handler. I am the antithesis to my message. Interesting dichotomy that they can exist in the world because of the physical privileges that I have. So I really try to like, in regards to our community, I talk about being service humans, right? Instead of humans having service dogs, I talk about being service humans and the mindset that goes with that. I was recently approached by a very, very, very big name. They wanted to do a paid collaboration. And as you know, I really don't do those. I've just started dipping my toe in the water. And they reached out to us and I thought, oh, wow, I did like my first negotiation, you know, for price. And it was like, cool, done deal, handshake. We're going to send you the, the creative brief. Okay. So I w- it was like an agreement and I won't say who it was and it's agreement to do, uh, you know, a post and some story slides as a collaboration with this really, really, really big company. And I was really excited. And then I was sent the creative brief and I read through it and it specifically said not to use uh, the word disability and other derogatory terms. And immediately I was triggered and I went back and I'm like, Hey, I see a conflict of interest. I, you know, I'd love to work with you. I'd love to be part of this collaboration, but I, I feel that I need to tell you as an expert in my field, talk about stepping out of line. I'm a self-proclaimed expert. Nobody is advocating for congenital, <laughs> neurological disabilities in dogs. Like we are strictly, that is what we do, right? It's not, I, and I have found there's a lot of discrimination against these guys. People can understand, you know what? I lost a limb, a dog, you know, has a spinal cord injury. People have a really hard time when beings, I will say are born with a neurodivergent brain or a cognitive disability or developmental disability. There's just a whole stigma, as you know, that goes with that. Very different than um, some of the other special needs that are touted in the K-Mine community. So anyways, I told them, I said, hey, as an expert in my field, 
truly, you know, we are a national organization pioneering canine congenital anomalies. I have to tell you, like we are disability pride advocates. And not only would not using the word disability be off brand for us, but I, I don't like that you guys are telling me I can't use the word. And moreover, that the word is derogatory. That statement in and of itself is ableist. Who are you to say that? I got like lit up and I, it came, it came to like a visceral place. And people are probably like, look at you, personal trainer in the stretchy pants. What are you so up in arms about? But I think that, and that's what I mean earlier when I said I'm stepping out of line in ways that I never thought I would, that I never felt compelled to, but it has become the most important thing in my life. This work has become an, uh, like a beautiful obsession. It is the most important thing in my life. I mean, obviously besides Andrew and, and my personal pack, I want to actually change behavior. Our director, Rebecca, asked me that one time, a long time ago, when we first got started, she's like, what does success mean to you? And I'm like, I don't know, because I really don't care about money. I've never had it. I don't think I ever will. I don't know. It doesn't mean not followers on Instagram. And, and then we got talking and I said, actually changing people's behavior, not just getting, you know, likes and follows and round of applause and using all the cute terms, but changing behavior. Will you choose a dog with a disability? Will you choose to foster one? You come across one that is in need. Will you advocate for it? Somebody emailed her the other day saying, I got a puppy and showed neurological symptoms and the vet recommended it get an MRI. So she took it to the neurologist, got an MRI, got all the information and then came to Kimberly and was like, I got all this information. Now, and what do I do? Now, now right. teach me. She didn't say, I want to give you the dog. So teach me. I How like can sobbed. I do this? And it's like, I saw that my computer goal because yeah. there are so many of these dogs that are being born that never make it past eight, 10 weeks. But now there's people that will see them and they're like, wow, these dogs actually have a chance and they reach out. But like for this woman to go out and do the MRI, do everything, that was amazing because that doesn't ever happen. Yeah, she invests, she's not a rescuer. She's not a foster. She's just an individual who came across this puppy who from a bad situation mm. realized it was neurological. And she goes from my friend Kimberly on Instagram, you have to get diagnostic imaging to know what you're working with. So she, she came to me with a diagnosis and videos of movement and all these things. And she's like, where, where do I go from here? And I'm like, uh, at this point, I'll do anything to help you because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm so touched that you, that's never happened before. So anyway, I just, I see a lot of similarities between humans as well with disabilities. Perry was born. We knew she had a club foot. She was frog, but we knew something was up with her and we did diagnostic testing. We did a muscle biopsy. We knew exactly what she had. So this way we would know we would get certain things paid for by insurance. Insurance wouldn't leave us in the dust. That was largely why you do the muscle biopsy. So it's not just low tone. Why? What happened? And we went to a neurologist. It took one look at Perry and her report. And he said, it's a waste of time for you to do anything. I wouldn't do any therapy. She's not going to amount to anything. So don't waste the time. Just take her home. And I left the office crying 
He's still practicing medicine, mind you. We found doctors who were like, no, you maximize the potential. And I think that's what you're doing also with your dogs. You're maximizing everybody because everybody deserves a chance to max whatever the potential is. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. You always maximize the potential. But humans are facing the same situation that you're describing with with your with the dogs. It's the same thing. And also you were talking about equipment before, how there's nothing made specifically for, you know, um, the wheelchair that you might need or like the pool wheelchair that you're that you're patenting, hopefully. With Harry also. Right. Like like we have to modify everything. Because yeah. nothing is, it's it's done a certain way. Even the big, large companies, like like, pick any wheelchair company or anything. You always have to modify it, and it's never what you need. And it takes these genius OTs and PTs to say we have to do it a different way and see it differently because this is not working. And I'm not normal. Like people still yeah. need her and talk really loud to her. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, she happened to lose hearing in her ear this year. So, all right, that, that works now, now but now it's, now it's appropriate. But I mean, very, seriously, I'd love to know, like, I mean, when people do that, I mean, obviously you understand it's just coming from like a lack of experience and stuff, but I mean, how does that, like, how does that make you feel? I mean, all my life has been like that. It's not new. It's not. It's not at all way. Um, I usually just look at them and just like when you see what they do, I'm curious. Sometimes it's really funny. Right, we laugh. Sometimes yeah. we just laugh. And sometimes it's really angry and then it's like roll away. I catch myself sounding like such a feminist these days, but you know, and I'm sure you can relate, like when you are a fierce advocate you know, it's not very convenient. The things, the things that you have to fight for and the things that you have to say and do, they make people uncomfortable. And I, I really opened my eyes to how society really grooms women to be people pleasers and to make others feel good, you know, at the expense of the self feeling good. And it's like such this catch 22, because I do like to make others feel good. And I do like to caretake and do all these things. Obviously, look at the role I'm in. But, you know, in return, I'd like to have the freedom to to speak up. And when I speak up, pardon my language, you better listen to what I'm saying. I have a voice. You know, and I, I think that one of the things I've experienced his journey also being on social media is everyone is a Kimberly fan when I'm sharing self-deprecating reflections and vulnerability. But when I stand up and I talk about how, you know, all yeah, you know, if I push back against what a veterinary neurologist says, or most notably in disability advocacy, when I describe how it's very intersectional, and if I'm advocating for all abilities, then I'm advocating for people of all color, and our our community is is a safe place. I get a lot of pushback. People don't like it. It's it's very upsetting for a woman, you know, to be to be as so bold as to suggest, um, you know, something that is so politicized. I, I find that um, I, get a, I get a lot of nasty messages when I like really speak up 
in terms of my advocacy. And that's one of the things that um, has really changed me as well as I had the opportunity to shrink myself and shrink my voice to be more palatable, to maybe get more likes, to get more followers, to get more, um, you know, of these brands back me. But I just have always stayed true to if I'm doing it for the right reasons and I'm not doing it for ego or to be some virtue signaling, you know, if I do it for the right reasons to like move the narrative and, you know, trend it towards a direction that is more inclusive and, and we are educating, then I need to speak up. But I've just, I've just, this is the first time experienced that pushback, but then again, never in my life have I ever been like this, you know, Perry, I, it's, I have to admit, like, it's a little intimidating when I hear you talking about your accomplishments, like scholastically, I think there's a little bit of envy there. I always, like, I, I always wanted to be exactly what you are in that way. I always wanted to be, you know, have like letters after my name and credentials and be really smart because my background is not that I came from a very challenged background and um, you know, they're just like nobody in my family except for one uncle ever went to college. Um, You know, everyone else barely made out of high school. Um, And I just, I grew up with just very, we were very financially challenged. And when I graduated high school, I was like, I want to be a doctor out of nowhere. In hindsight, I think what I was looking for was validation that I'm worth something. And for me at the time, I was like, you know, I'm graduating high school, you know, the world is my oyster and both my mom and dad who, who had been separated since I was like 10 months old, they both said the same thing. Like, well, there's no college fund. And so I went through the whole thing with trying to put myself through college with student loans and everything. But I, I had an undiagnosed learning disability that was quite profound. I've now found out I have a couple learning disabilities (laughs) um, that were never advocated for when I was younger. And, um, you know, I had anxiety and I just had a really hard time getting through college, but, you know, I love my dad to death. He's no longer with us. So, I mean, I hate to, you know, paint him in a bad light, but one time he said to me, he was like, look, kid, uh, us Elliot's, we're not meant to be doctors. You should be a land surveyor or a tile setter like your uncle. And it really messed me up, but it got inside my head. And I had like all these aspirations. I wanted to be a urologist of all things. How bizarre. Now I'm really into brains, but dog brains. Um, but my point is I, I, I like I created this identity for myself when I graduated high school and I went to, to college that I'm still paying on student loans for that I never used. But I later dropped out of college. Um, I just literally gave up and nobody in my family, neither parent was like, come on, Kimberly, you can do better. You can do more because they never did anything different or more. And so I sort of always carried that. Like, I felt like I wear the scarlet letter. Like I, you know, was like a 2.8 GPA in high school. Better than mine. And, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of like, you know, wasn't very great in college. I ended up dropping out, you know, add insult to injury. I'm still paying on student loans that never amounted to a degree. And I just, there's no letters after my name. And so I got into fitness because guess what? If you look the part, you can be a personal trainer, but you know, I loved fitness and I love people. So we were very successful at it, but we're people, people We, you know, we're, that's why we were successful. But I think that's something that 
what Andrew shares as well is almost like, you know, yeah, we're entrepreneurs, but I think that I, I don't know how you feel, but I always feel like people who are really successful and make an impact, they're like Perry. They got the hot GPA. They got the MBA. They got the they the MBA. That is. Yeah. That, like when that's badass. That. Like I only, I only have two friends that got their MBA. That's yeah. not, that's not easy. You know? And like, so it kind of, I've, like not, not in a bad way, not like a woe is me, but you know, I kind of feel like a slouch a little bit. Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love acceptance and uplifting conversations something that really kind of changed my life was um about 11 years ago i stepped away from my family so i I don't know i mean for most people they can't do that because you know they're they're saying blood is thicker than water um but for me you know i never believed that because to me it's Family is family, but again, they're just people. And I, I feel like people should always respect one another no it's matter about what. Relationships. And, you know, for me to step away from my family, that was the hardest thing I ever did because we were so close. And, but it was life-changing for me. It was honestly the best thing I ever did. It was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was the best thing I ever did. Some people should step away from their family at some point in their life, but they can't because they are family, even though it's very toxic and damaging to them. Um, so I know it's kind of against the grain of what I did. My father and my sister were kind of a team and my sister said some really nasty things for, for years. And then I eventually, one day I put my foot down and said, I'm, you can't do that anymore. You know, I was like 25 years old and I'm like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be a punching bag. You know, there was four siblings and she was the one that always did it. And my dad was like, well, you kind of got to let her do it. You know, she's the baby. And I'm like, no, you know, so it, and it caused a lot of problems when I finally did that. And I stood up for myself and then it kind of just snowballed into me just walking away because it was the best thing I could do, you know? So I put myself first for the first time in my life. From that day forward, everything did change. You know, when did you meet your wife? Was it after that? It was after. So honestly, Kimberly <laughs> is the one that um, helped me gain confidence because I was kind of lost. And then I, I met her and she helped build me into the man I am today. She gave me a lot of confidence. Um, she taught me a lot about boundaries and how to stand up for myself and when to say no, um, you know, not letting people walk all over me because it wasn't just my family. It was other people, too. Um, so because of her, I had that confidence. Um, and one of the other layers was um, Kimberly coming into my life and give me that confidence. My parents could feel the, um, me changing and they didn't like that. So they tried to put it on her and saying that she was the person pulling me away from the family. Um, so they tried to blame her for all of this and they tried to tear us apart actually. Um, so because of her, is the reason why I was able to do that. She gave me the strength and the courage to do that. And she was your trainer? That's how we, I mean, that was how we met. Yeah, so I was actually working at a gym and I saw her around the gym quite a bit. I was like, okay, she's (laughs) 
pretty hot, but she's way out of my league. Fast forward the tape a few months, I went and I took this boot camp class and up walks Kimberly and I'm like, oh, you're the trainer for this. So I went into class and I had to give him my all and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and she kicked my butt every single time after that. But yeah, she was my trainer. And then, yeah, and <laughs> ended up becoming my boss. I ended up working for her too. For, I ended up working for the gym, teaching classes. She was my boss. And then everything kind of happened from there. I've lived outside of the line my entire life. There, I mean, I, I, I'm never in line. I, I'm the one that is out with the megaphone yelling, come with me, follow me, come. I'm always that person. To me, the idea of stepping outside a line, um, I, I don't strive to do it. And I actually was not aware that that title would be awarded to me um, until I got into my more adult years. And I began receiving that feedback. Gosh, wow, I've just never met anyone like you. You really say it like it is. And I think that if I was born a man, I don't think that I would be viewed so, you know, with all the adjectives I'm given, abrasive, aggressive, intimidating, dominant. I actually don't think I'm any of those things. I'm compassionate. I connect. Um, I strive to understand others. I love to be coached. I love to be taught, but I, I am me. And one of the ways that I feel best existing in the world is just unabashedly, you know, sharing where I'm at, because I know, I know deep in my heart, regardless of what other people are saying or showing me, I am every woman. There are so many similarities, Perry, you and I have so many similarities and you and I have so many similarities. But fear of, of judgment and fear of being who we are holds so many of us back. And so I feel like there are a lot of conformists and they want to shrink themselves and they want to fit in and they don't want to stand out. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like that being asked of me. I don't like being around that. And so I never stood in the line ever. I don't even know what that's like. So I would say that the way though, that I have most boldly and most notably staked my claim outside of that line is with the Josh mission. You have this RV picked out. You have started raising money for it. Can you tell us what the purpose of this two year um, RV tour with Josh and Bidey and friends? What do you hope to accomplish with it? What people could do to help the you know, the foundation that you have. Oh, Bring sure. Josh. He looks so cute right now. He's oh, totally he's, napping. He so he's totally <laughs> oh. napping. He is everything to me. I mean. He had my spirit animal. Perry said he's her spirit animal. So basically, when I started the Be Like Josh Foundation, it was like 50% rescue, 50% community outreach. And yes, I share him on social media, but what I really wanted to do was visit schools and have community events where people can actually get hands-on with Josh's body, feel his body, see how he moves, get comfortable talking about disabilities. I guess I'm kind of using dogs to help people get more comfortable with creating language around disabilities so that they're more comfortable talking to people like Perry. You know what I'm saying? And so Josh is a willing participant and so is Ford. So we wanted to kind of have like public events where people could 
meet Josh and see his wheelchair and ask questions and interact with him and see that he, the totality of who he is, right? Right. He's, he has a disability, but that's just part of the conversation. It's not the whole conversation. And yes, I'm his caregiver, but I'm also a dog mom or a, a pet owner. We still do all the fun things. So I wanted people to experience that in person. And then also, you know, when I connect on social media, I've had like an outpouring of people. Our world is becoming increasingly disconnected and sterile, I feel. And so our community is really open and compassionate and vulnerable. And so it's sort of like, just like a, a, I wanted to have this component that was kind of like educational and based and rooted in like feel good inclusion. So, um, you know, we did a few kind of Josh meets where people could come and meet Josh and it was, I didn't really know what to expect, but people would just be so overcome with emotion when they would meet him, you know, they were just smitten with him. And so it really took off. And, but very quickly, Andrew and I realized like, this is unrealistic, like, you know, and as Josh's platform grew, you know, we realized we have people in Maine and Florida and Detroit and Nebraska and Seattle and, you know, while we can do a couple meets like in Southern California and in Arizona, the reality of us traveling around the United States with Josh who cannot fly um, is just very unrealistic. And so a couple years ago, we had to go to the Midwest for like four weeks for Andrew's work. And we did a couple meet and greets. We did like a Michigan and a Chicago and, a, and an Ohio meet. And hundreds of hundreds of people came. They waited in line for hours and hold him and get their photo and all that stuff. And it was awesome. Andrew and I said, like, it would be so cool to do this all over the country. I mean, not just, of course, right, hardcore Josh fans can meet Josh, yes. But it, it's just, it really is a very different impact when you get to meet him in person and interact and ask questions about disabilities in person. And we really have like a come as you are um, feel, right? There's no special language just ask questions, you know, it's all good. And so when we realized that um, we could, it wasn't really realistic to do that, we sort of like hung that idea up. Then the pandemic hit. My DM has never stopped. People are like, I'm coming to town. What are the odds I can meet Josh? You know, um, oh, I see you're in such and such. Uh, I live here. Can I come meet Josh? And it's like man, that's, how do I do that? It's a slippery slope. I can't, you know, I, that's not really realistic either. So over, we said yes to everyone. We would spend two and a half years letting everybody meet. Yeah, the well, they'd be coming to my house. I'd have like a line of strangers out my door. So what we realized is, you know, over the, through the pandemic, we went from being gym owners to then our lease was up. We moved to working in a studio, just being independent personal trainers. And then when the pandemic hit, we switched to like virtual and home and like online. And that was really successful and stuff. And then the Be Like Josh Foundation grew and whatever. So we started making a living essentially from doing things virtually. And so just recently, as of May, I looked at Andrew and I'm like, you know, now that we're not tied down to our careers, we really could go mobile and do like a Josh tour, do what we did in those couple meets all over the country. Like I, I am, I started a Patreon because 
I finally got to the BLJ to a point where it needed me 24 seven to continue the work. So I gave up my career hundred percent and I only draw a living off my Patreon platform. I do not pull any income from any donations because I need every penny for like everything we're doing, you know, a shunt surgery is 10 K Andrew started his online fitness business and that's kind of been taking off. And so we realized like we could go mobile, we could do this. Let's go for it. So I, I, I make a living. I can support me. Andrew makes a living. He can support him. We can support our pack. All we need is essentially a way to travel safely and sustainably with two dogs in wheelchairs and the rest of our pack, um, because we can't fly. And my vet told me like, you can't leave your other dogs at home with a pet sitter and be going around with we, we have to take everybody. We have to take Only everybody. So, you know, we looked at vans and school buses and all this stuff, but we need like, they, these dogs run hot. They have a tendency to overheat and we're going to be, you know, going all over. We need, AC. we need AC. We need all these things. So we just settled on, although it's not cute and cool, like a converted van, which is what I wanted, you know, the hippie in me settled on an RV, but that RV can fully support our entire pack. If we're in adverse weather, these guys can, it's an open floor plan. They can be up in their wheelchairs, exercising, moving, using the elevated feeder, doing what they need to do. It has tons of storage for all of our many things. We have like strollers and buggies and all this stuff. But our goal is to literally, we chose a two-year window because he can only handle so much. Like if we do a, like a four hour meet, he's exhausted for like three days. I mean, he's just energetically wiped out. You know, what if we just take our time and literally hit almost every major city, right? Like if we go to Texas, we're not just going to do one meet in Dallas. We're probably going to do like a San Antonio and Austin, a Dallas, right? Um, versus like a smaller state, like Rhode Island or like the tri-city area, right? Like We'll probably do like a New York city. I don't know that we do like a, a New York city and a New Jersey. So we kind of came up with this idea that we can take care of everything if we just have the vehicle. So maybe we can like lean on our community to fundraise for the vehicle. That was our plan. Our goal is simply to take our message on the road. I feel like when you really sit down and you put like a, a handshake or a hug or a face-to-face -face connection with us, with Josh, people are really going to, I mean, they're, they're already all in with the Be Like Josh Foundation, those that follow us and support us. But it's really just almost like a pep rally to keep this train moving down the tracks. You know, I want people to get hands-on with these dogs. And also I do see the way when we're out in public, People do treat Josh and Ford a little different. Um, they are a little bit uncomfortable with Ford because of how profoundly impacted he is from his disability versus Josh. I want to address that in person. I want, I want people to, to not be scared and to not be awkward or uncomfortable. Like Ford's disability is much more noticeable than Josh's, but he's not less of a dog. He's not less there. He, he's wildly intelligent. He's lovable. I just wanted people to really interact without their phone screen. And then the other goal I have is I'd really like to connect with clinicians all over the country. I started this thing thinking, oh, I want to go to schools and talk to kids about inclusion. I do want to do that. But if veterinarians are euthanizing these dogs at the time of diagnosis, then what am I even doing? 
I really need to start talking to veterinarians. I need to open them up to the idea that with the right service human, these dogs can thrive. Their issue, they're, they don't have failure to thrive because of them. The only reason they're not thriving or they're not living or surviving is because there aren't people there who believe in them. I want people to see what I see. It, like if it can change me, I was a very selfish person. I've crafted my life around him, not because I went Looney Tunes, but because he's enriched my life. And, and we were hesitant to adopt for, I still have the blog up on our website. It's the only blog. It's about how there's no way in Sam hell I can adopt Ford. And here we are, he's the other light of our life. So I just really want to get in front of um, vet schools, veterinarians, clinicians, all over the country. And I want to show them because a lot of them, even though the veterinarians are the experts with the letters behind their name that do the diagnosis, they're not hands-on. Most of these dogs don't make it past we diagnosis. We give them forward for a week. They wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So I want them, I want to educate them because maybe different decisions can start being made inside these offices behind closed doors, you know? So how could people help you today? So when you donate to our tour fundraiser, those funds solely go to the tour. So we have a completely special um, place on our website. So if you go to our website, which is the best way to support us monetarily with donations, if you go to our website, belikejosh.org, you can click our menu on tour there's a hyperlink right on the main page, or you can go to belikejosh.org forward slash tour. There is a specific fundraiser and you'll see the little red kind of like horizontal thermometer showing. If they donate there, that donation will go directly to the funding the RV. If they go onto our uh, regular donate page, it goes to our general like rescue medical fund. Bonus content behind the scenes, like longer form blogs, like all Weekly the- lives. All yeah, we stuff. do. Weekly lives like wheels off Kimberly, like the uncensored Kimberly version. That's in my Patreon. This you is know, uncensored. <laughs> I told you, honey. Listen, <laughs> I told you. I think with any big undertaking like this, I think there's always some doubts and fears, and I guess like that's part of the thrill of it. It's part of the challenge of it, you know. So. I'm just trying not to, you know, I'm not trying to ruminate on them. I just let the emotions come in and, you know, I just let them go.